story two of romance of california life by john haberton this librivox recording is in the public domain story two jim hoxson's revenge one you don't say i do though well i never neither did i exactly don't be provoking ephraim what makes you talk in that double way well ma the world ain't all squeezed into this yer little town of crankett i've been elsewhere some and i've seed some funny things and likewise some that wasn't so funny as they might be perhaps you have but you needn't always be a settin other folks down maybe crankett ain't the whole world but it seed that awful case of molly cappins and the shipwreck of thirty four when the awful nor'easter was and well well mall don't let's fight about it said ephraim with a sigh as he tenderly scraped down a new axe helve with a piece of glass while his wife made the churn dasher hurry up and down as if the innocent cream was ephraim's back and she was avenging thereupon ephraim's insults to crankett and its people deacon ephraim crankett was a descendant of the founder of the village and although now a sixty-year-old farmer he had in his lifetime seen considerable of the world he had been to the fishing banks a dozen times been whaling twice had carried a cargo of wheat up the mediterranean and had been second officer of a ship which had picked up a miscellaneous cargo at the heathen ports of eastern asia he had picked up a great many ideas too wherever he had been and his wife was immensely proud of him and them whenever she could compare them with the men and ideas which existed at crankett but when ephraim displayed his memories and knowledge to her alone oh that was a very different thing anyhow resumed mrs crankett raising the lid of the churn to see if there were any signs of butter it's an everlastin shame jim hoxson's a young feller in good standin in the church and milly botain's an unbeliever they say her father's a regular infidel easy ma easy gently remonstrated ephraim when he seed you lookin at his pet rosebush on your way to church last sunday didn't he hurry and pull two or three and hand em to you yes and what did he have in t'other hand a boasting paper and not a sunday one nother millicent ain't a christian name no how you can fix it it amounts to just about much says she does and that's nothin she's got a soft face and purty hair ef it's all her own which i powerfully doubt and after that thar's nothin to her she's never been to sewin meetin and she's off a boatin with that new york chap every saturday afternoon instead of goin to the young people's prayer meetins she's most supported sam ransom's wife and young ones since sam's smack was lost suggested ephraim that's you deacon crankett replied his wife I always stick up for sinners perhaps you'd make better use of your time ef you'd examine your own evidences wow wife said the deacon she's engaged to that new york feller as you call mr brown so there's no danger of jem being unequally yoked with an unbeliever and i wish you well from the bottom of my heart i don't cried mrs crankett giving the dasher a vicious push which sent the cream flying frantically up to the top of the churn i hope he'll turn out bad and her pride'll be tucked down as 
the deacon had been long enough at sea to know the signs of a long storm and to know that prudence suggested a prompt sailing out of the course of such a storm when possible so he started for the door carrying the glass and axe helve with him suddenly the door opened and a female figure ran so violently against the axe helve that the said figure was instantly tumbled to the floor and seemed an irregular mass of faded pink calico and subdued plaid shawl miss peakin exclaimed mrs crankett dropping the churn dasher and opening her eyes like to have not been whined the figure slowly arising and giving the offending axe-helve a glance which would have set it on fire had it not been of green hickory but have you heard what asked mrs crankett hastily setting a chair for the newcomer while ephraim deacon and sixty though he was paused in his almost completed exit he's gone exclaimed miss peakin oh i heard jim had gone to calif pshaw said miss peakin contemptuously that was days ago i mean brown the new york chap milly botain's lover you don't but i do and what's more he had to there was men come after him in the night-time but he must have heard em for they didn't find him in his room and this morning they found that his sailboat has gone too and what's more there's a printed notice up about him and he's a defaulter and there's five thousand dollars for whoever catches him and he stole twenty-five and he's all described in the notice as particular as if he was a full-blood alderney cow poor fellow sighed the deacon for which interruption he received a withering glance from miss peakin they say milly's a goin awful and that she says she'll marry him now if he'll come back but it ain't likely he'll be such a fool now he's got so much money he don't need hern reckon her and her father won't be so high and mighty and stuck up now it's powerful discouraging to the righteous to see the ungodly flourishin so and a rollin in their wealth when their better has to be on needles all year for fear the next mackerel catch won't mount to much the idea of her willin to marry a defaulter i can't understand it poor girl sighed mrs crankett wiping one eye with the corner of her apron i'd do it myself if i was her the deacon dropped the axe helve and gave his wife a tender kiss on each eye Two perhaps mr darwin can tell inquirers why out of very common origin there occasionally spring beings who are very decided improvements on their progenitor but we are only able to state that jim hoxson was one of these superior beings and was himself fully aware of the fact not that he was conceited at all for he was not but he could not help seeing what every one else saw and acknowledged every one liked him for he was always kind in word and action and every one was glad to be jim hoxson's friend but somehow jim seemed to consider himself his best company his mackerel lines were worked briskly as any others when the fish were biting but when the fish were gone he would lean idly on the rail and stare at the waves and clouds he could work a cranberry bog so beautifully that the people for miles round came to look on and take lessons yet when the sun tried to hide in the evening behind a ragged row of trees on a ridge beyond jim's cranberry patch he would lean on his spade and gaze until everything about him seemed yellow 
he read the bible incessantly yet offended alike the pious saints and critical sinners by never preaching or exhorting and out of everything jim hoxson seemed to extract what it contained of the ideal and the beautiful and when he saw millicent botain he straightway adored the first woman he had met who was alike beautiful intelligent and refined miss milly being human was pleased by the admiration of the handsome manly fellow who seemed so far the superior of the men of his class but when in his honest simplicity he told her that he loved her she declined his further attentions in a manner which though very delicate and kind opened jim's blue eyes to some sad things he had never seen before he neither got drunk nor threatened to kill himself nor married the first silly girl he met but he sensibly left the place where he had suffered so greatly and in a sort of sad daze he hurried off to hide himself in the newly discovered gold fields of california perhaps he had suddenly learned certain properties of gold which were hitherto unknown to him at any rate it was soon understood at spanish stake where he had located himself that jim hoxson got out more gold per week than any man in camp and that it all went to san francisco kind of a mean cuss i reckon remarked a newcomer one day at the saloon when jim alone of the crowd present declined to drink with him not any replied colonel two so-called because he had two eyes while another colonel in the camp had but one and it's good for you stranger continued the colonel that you ain't been long in camp else some of the boys have put a hole through you for saying anything against jim for we all swear by him we do he don't carry shootin irons but no feller in camp dares to tackle him he don't cuss nobody and everybody does just as he asks em to as to drinkin why i'd swear off myself if t'd make me hold a candle to him went to old bermuda t'other day when he was ravin tight and layin for butcher pete with a shootin arn and he actually talked bermuda into soakin his head and turnin in everybody else was afeard to go nigh old bermuda that day the newcomer seemed gratified to learn that jim was so peaceable a man that was the natural supposition at least for he forthwith cultivated jim with considerable assiduity and being it was evident a man of considerable taste and experience jim soon found his companionship very agreeable and he lavished upon his new acquaintance who had been nicknamed tarpaulin the many kind and thoughtful attentions which had endeared jim to the other miners the two men lived in the same hut staked claims adjoining each other and tarpaulin who had been thin and nervous-looking when he first came to camp began to grow peaceable and plump under jim's influence one night as jim and tarpaulin lay chatting before a fire in their hut they heard a thin wiry voice in the next hut inquiring anybody in this camp look like this tarpaulin started that's a funny question said he let's see who and what the fellow is and then tarpaulin started for the next hut jim waited some time and hearing low voices in earnest conversation went next door himself tarpaulin was not there but two small thin sharp-eyed men were there displaying an old-fashioned daguerreotype of a handsome-looking young man dressed in the latest new york style and more than this jim did not notice don't know him mister said colonel two who happened to be the owner of the hut 
besides if as is most likely he's growed long hair and a beard since he left the states his own mother wouldn't know him from george washington brother of yourn no said one of the thin men he's well the fact is we'll give a thousand dollars to any one who'll find him for us in twenty-four hours deputy sheriffs asked the colonel retiring somewhat hastily under his blankets about the same thing said one of the thin men with a sickly smile git roared the colonel suddenly springing from his bed and cocking his revolver i believe in the golden rule i do the detectives with the fine instinct peculiar to their profession rightly construed the colonel's action as a hint and withdrew and jim retired to his own hut and fell asleep while waiting for his partner morning came but no tarpaulin dinner-time arrived but jim ate alone and was rather blue he loved a sociable chat and of late tarpaulin had been almost his sole companion evening came but tarpaulin came not jim couldn't abide the saloon for a whole evening so he lit a candle in his own hut and attempted to read tarpaulin was a lover of newspapers it seemed to jim he received more papers than all the remaining miners put together jim thought he would read some of these same papers and unrolled tarpaulin's blankets to find them when out fell a picture-case opening as it fell jim was about to close it again when he suddenly started and exclaimed millicent botain he held it under the light and examined it closely there could be no doubt as to identity there were the same exquisite features which a few months before had opened to jim hoxson a new world of beauty and had then with a sweet yet sad smile knocked down all of his fair castles and destroyed all his exquisite pictures strange that it should appear to him now and so unexpectedly but stranger did it seem to jim that on the opposite side of the case should be a portrait which was a duplicate of the one shown by the detectives that rascal brown exclaimed jim so he succeeded in getting her did he but i shouldn't call him names he had as much right to make love to her as i god grant he may make her happy and he is probably a very fine fellow must be by his looks suddenly jim started as if shocked by an electric battery hiding all the hair and beard of the portrait he stared at it a moment and exclaimed tarpaulin three both gone exclaimed colonel two hurrying into the saloon at noon both gone echoed two or three men yes said the colonel and the queerest thing is they left everything behind every darn thing i never did see such a stampede afore i didn't nobody's got any idea o where they be nor where it's about either don't be too sartin colonel piped weasel a self-contained mite of a fellow who was still at work upon his glass filled at the last general treat although every one else was finished so long ago that they were growing thirsty again don't be too sartin them detectives bunked in my shanty last night the deuce they did cried the colonel good the rest of us didn't know it well said weasel moving his glass in graceful circles to be sure that all the sugar dissolved i dunno it's a respectable business and i wanted to have a good look at em what's that got to do with jim and tarpaulin demanded the colonel fiercely wait and i'll tell you replied weasel provokingly taking a leisurely sip at his glass jim come down to see em what cried the colonel 
and told him he knew their man and would help find them continued weasel they offered him the thousand dollars oh lord oh lord groaned the colonel who's a feller to trust in this world the idea o jim going back on a partner for a thousand i would not believed he's a done it for a million and he told em he'd cram it down their throats if they mentioned it again bully hooray for jim shouted the colonel what'll you take fellers fill high here's to jim the feller that believes his friend's innocent the colonel looked thoughtfully into his glass and remarked as if to his own reflection therein ain't many such men here nor nowhere else after which he drank the toast himself but that don't explain what tarpaulin went fur said the colonel suddenly yes it does said the exasperating weasel shutting his thin lips so tightly that it was hard to see where his mouth was what exclaimed the colonel twould take a four-horse corkscrew to get anything out of you you dried-up little scoundrel why replied weasel greatly pleased by the colonel's compliment after what you said about hair and beard hiding a man one of them fellers cut a card and held it over the picture so as to hide hair and chin the forehead and face and nose and ears was tarpaulin and nobody else's lightnin's blazes roared the colonel ah why tarpaulin hisself came into my shanty and looked at the picture and talked to them about it trot out your glassware barkeeper got to drink to a feller that's as cool as that the boys drank with the colonel but they were too severely astonished to enjoy the liquor particularly in fact old bermuda who had never taken anything but plain rye drank three fingers of claret that day and did not know of it until told the colonel's mind was unusually excited it seemed to him there were a number of probabilities upon which to hang bets he walked outside that his meditation might be undisturbed but in an instant he was back crying lady comin shirt-sleeves and trouser-legs were hurriedly rolled down shirt-collars were buttoned hats were dusted and then each man went leisurely out with the air of having merely happened to leave the saloon an air which imposed upon no disinterested observer coming up the trail beside the creek were a middle-aged gentleman and a young lady both on horseback the gentleman's dress and general style plainly indicated that he was not a miner nor a storekeeper nor a barkeeper while it was equally evident that the lady was neither a washerwoman a cook nor a member of either of the very few professions which were open to ladies on the pacific coast in those days this much every miner quickly decided for himself but after so deciding each miner reached the uttermost extremity of his wits and devoted himself to staring the couple reined in before the saloon and the gentleman drew something small and black and square from his pocket gentlemen said he we are looking for an old friend of ours and have traced him to this camp we scarcely know whether it would be any use to give his name but here is his picture can any one remember having seen the person here every one looked toward colonel too he being the man with the most practical tongue in camp the colonel took the picture and weasel slipped up behind him and looked over his shoulder the colonel looked at the picture abruptly handed it back looked at the young lady and then gazed vacantly into space and seemed very uncomfortable been here but gone said the colonel at length 
where did he go do you know asked the gentleman while the lady's eyes dropped wearily nobody knows only been gone a day or two replied the colonel the colonel had a well-developed heart and relying on what he considered the correct idea of jim hoxson's mission ventured to say he'll be back in a day or two left all his things suddenly weasel raised his diminutive voice and said the detect the determined grip of the colonel's hand interrupted the communication which weasel attempted to make and the colonel hastily remarked there's a feller gone for him that's sure to fetch him back who who is it asked the young lady hesitatingly well ma'am said the colonel as your father i suppose leastways said tain't much use to give names in this part of the world but the name he's going by is jim hoxson the young lady screamed and fell four whether to do it or not is what bothers me soliloquized mr weasel pacing meditatively in front of the saloon the old man offers me two thousand to get tarpaulin away from them fellers and let him know where to meet him and his daughter two thousand's a pretty penny and the being picked out by so smart a look a man as an honor big enough to set off again a few hundred dollars more but on t'other hand if they catch him they'll come back here and who knows but what they'll want the old man and girl as bad as they want a tarpaulin a bird in the hand's worth two in the bush better keep near the ones i got i reckon here they come now as mr weasel concluded his dialogue with himself mr botain and millicent approached in company with the colonel the colonel stopped just beyond the saloon and said now here's your best pint you can see the hill trail for better'n five miles and the crick for a mile and a half i'll just have a shed knocked together to keep the lady from the sun and keep a stiff upper lip both of yer trust jim hoxson nobody in the mines ever knowed him to fail millicent shivered at the mention of jim's name and the colonel unhappily ignorant of the cause of her agitation tried to divert her mind from the chances of harm to tarpaulin by growing eloquent in praise of jim hoxson suddenly the colonel himself started and grew pale he quickly recovered himself however and with the delicacy of a gentleman walked rapidly away as millicent and her father looked in the direction from which the colonel's surprise came there handcuffed with beard and hair singed close clothes torn and face bleeding walked ethelbert brown between the two detectives while jim hoxson with head bowed and hands behind his back followed a few yards behind someone gave the word at the saloon and the boys hurried out but the colonel pointed significantly toward the sorrowful couple while with the other hand he pointed an ugly pistol cocked toward the saloon millicent hurried from her father's side and flung her arms about the sorry figure of her lover and jim hoxson finding his pathway impeded raised his eyes and then blushed violently sorry for you sir said one of the detectives touching his hat to mr botain but can't help being glad we got a day ahead of you what amount of money will buy your prisoner demanded the unhappy father beg pardon sir very sorry but we'd be compounding felony in that case you know replied one of the officers gazing with genuine pity at the weeping girl don't worry whispered the colonel in mr botain's ear we'll clean out them two fellers and let tarpaulin loose again every fellow come here for something darn it with which sympathizing expression the colonel again retired 
i'll give you as much as the bank offers said mr botain very sorry sir but can't replied the detective we'd be just as bad then in the eyes of the law as before reward five thousand bank lose twenty five thousand thirty thousand in odd figures is least we could take even that wouldn't be regular but it would be a safe risk seeing all the bank cares for us gets money back mr botain groaned we'll make it as pleasant as we can for you sir continued the detective if you and the lady'll go back on the ship with us we'll give him the liberty of the ship as soon as we're well away from the land we'd consider it our duty to watch him of course but we'd try to do it so as not to give offence we've got hearts though we are in this business hope you can buy him a clear when you get home sir i've sacrificed everything to get here i can never clear him sighed mr botain i can exclaimed a clear manly voice millicent raised her eyes and for the first time saw jim hockson she gave him a look in which astonishment gratitude and fear strove for the mastery and he gave her a straightforward honest respectful look in return the two detectives dropped their lower jaws alarmingly and raised their eyebrows to their hat-rims the bank at san francisco has an agent here said jim colonel won't you fetch him the colonel took a lively double quick and soon returned with a business-looking man mr green said jim please tell me how much i have in your bank the clerk looked over a small book he extracted from his pocket and replied briefly over two thousand ounces please give these gentlemen a check made whatever way they like it for the equivalent of thirty thousand dollars i'll sign it said jim the clerk and one of the detectives retired to an adjacent hut and soon called jim jim joined them and immediately he and the officer returned to the prisoner it's all right maxley said the other let him go the officer removed the handcuffs and ethelbert brown was free his first motion was to seize jim's hand hockson tell me why you helped those detectives said he revenge replied jim for what cried brown changing colour gaining milly botain's love replied jim brown looked at millicent and read the story from her face he turned toward jim a wondering look and asked slowly then why did you free me because she loved you said jim and then he walked quietly away five why miss pekin it's a fact eben javash that went out better'n a year ago has got back and he was at the next diggin's and heard all about it seems the officers catched brown and jim hawks and gave him thirty thousand dollars to pay him and the bank too and then they let him go might's well kept his money though seeing brown washed overboard on the way back i ain't a bettin man said the deacon but i'd risk our white-faced cow that them thirty thousand dollars preached the greatest sermon ever heerd in californy uh in crankit either miss perkin threw a withering glance at the deacon it was good he was not on trial for heresy with miss pekin for judge and jury she continued eben says there was a fellow named weasel that hid close by and heard all twas said and when he went to the rum shop and told the miners they who raid for jim as if they was mad just like them crazy fellers they ain't no idea when money's wasted the lord waste all the money in the world that way devoutly exclaimed the deacon 
and that feller weasel continued miss peakin giving the deacon's pet cat a vicious kick though he'd always been economical and never set a bad example before by persuadin folk to be intemperate actually drawed a pistol and fit with a feller they call colonel too fit for the chance of askin the crowd to drink to jim oxen and then went round to all the diggins tellin about jim and wastin his money treatin folks to drink good luck to jim disgraceful it's what i call a powerful conversion remarked the deacon but there's more said miss peakin with a sigh and yet with an air of importance befitting the bearer of wonderful tidings what eagerly asked mrs crankett jim's back said miss peakin mercy on us cried mrs crankett the lord bless and prosper him earnestly exclaimed the deacon well said miss peakin with a disgusted look i s'pose he will from the looks of things for eben says that when weasel told the fellers how it all was they went to work and put gold dust in a box for jim till there was more than he give for brown and fellers from all rounds been sendin him dust ever since he's mighty sight the richest man anywhere near this town good bless the lord cried the deacon with delight you ain't heard all of it though continued miss perkins with a funereal countenance they're going to be married sakes alive gasped mrs crankett it's so said miss peakin and they say she went for him by way of the isthmus and he come back that way bad enough to marry him when poor brown ain't been dead six months but to send for him was a real noble big-hearted womanly thing to do declared mrs crankett snatching off her spectacles and i'd done it myself if i'd been her the deacon gave his old wife an enthusiastic hug upon seeing which miss peakin hastily departed with a severely shocked expression of countenance and a nose aspiring heavenward End of story two.